Well, good morning. You are the lively group. You've got the caffeine in you. That's good. Have your Bibles, take them and turn with me to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at chapter five and we're going to be looking at verses uh, 20 through 24. Um, Over the last couple of weeks, um, Pastor Mark has introduced a sermon series uh, that's titled Way to Grow. And the idea the idea of this, this series has been to help us understand and look at what elements we may need to, to uh, implement in our own spiritual lives so that we can make 2012 a year where we are growing in our faith. We understand that the goal of the Christian faith is not to have a future destiny secured. That's not the goal. The goal of our Christian faith is to have our lives changed to the image of Christ, to be like him. Yes, there is the security, the eternal security of heaven that we enjoy, but that's not the end game. That's not the end result. The end result is to be like Christ, to transform and change our lives into new people. So when we come to Christ, it's not enough to just sit back and go, I got it. I got my ticket punched for heaven. I'm all good. I'm just going to live the way I want. That's not the idea. The idea is that I'm continually identifying what's inside of my life, what's inside of my heart, and understanding who God is so that I may become like Christ. That's the idea. And so over this, the last few weeks, the last four weeks, we, Pastor Mark's been introducing ideas to us to help us along that journey so that we can grow. We've looked at ideas like cutting out the crud and clutter of our lives so that we have space for God. That's basically the idea. We need space for God. We have a lot of time the, for, to do other things that, that, relatively speaking, don't matter as much as finding time for God. And so we, we looked at that. We looked at the idea of, of the power of, of prayer and that we need to be people who take time to, to pray. We, we were challenged to, to set aside a certain amount of time every day to begin developing this habit of prayer. Not that that time period was something magical or mystical, but that it just helped us get into a, a rhythm of prayer and grow uh, grow through that. One of the other things that we were challenged with is to look at communion. And when we come to the Lord's table to see communion as really uh, what it's intended to be and to really honor Christ through communion. Communion isn't a ritual that we do, that we celebrate it in and of itself. We are to celebrate Christ. And that's what, what we've been challenged to do to kind of refocus our attention on that. And then the other thing that that Pastor Mark shared was this idea of the importance of setting uh, aside time to really get into God's word, to read God's word for ourselves, because we need to, to, to become like Christ. We need to know Christ. And so we need to get into his word and understand um, um, who who Christ is and what God the Father has for us in our lives. So that's what that's that's where we've been over the last four weeks. And so today we come to part five of this prescription. And really what I want to share with you today is arguably an element that has the potential. It has the potential to unlock the power of all of the four things that we've been talking about for the last four weeks. It has the power to unlock the potential of those things and really see our lives uh, germinate and grow and take off um, as, as we would hope and desire and God's, God desires for us. Along with that, conversely, I would say, 
if we don't introduce this element in our lives, there is the possibility that the, that the growth we desire would become stale and stagnant. That over the course of the year, we would look back and say, boy, I was really hoping I would have grown on this different kind of trajectory. It didn't happen, and I'm not sure why, and I can't figure it out. And I, 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 would, I would place before you this morning that if we don't introduce this element into our practice, into our prescription plan, that that could be one of the reasons why we're not seeing the growth that we want in our own lives. The practical application of this element comes down to three, three words. These three words can become, can, can be, can be some of the most powerful words that we share with one another. These three words, um, for some people, are life-changing and they're freeing words. These three words, and we've all said them, these three words, three words, I think, we, we want to say, and we long to hear somebody say them to us. It begins with I. Do you know what it is? What? I love you? No. Close. I am sorry. I am sorry. I think for many of us, we long to hear those words from someone. I think for many of us, we have relationships that we look at and we hold at a distance and we know, we know what we got to do. We know, we know that if we would just utter three words, I am sorry, it wouldn't change everything that's gone on, but it would bring back the relationship. In the scriptures, Jesus talks about reconciliation. And that's going to be the word that, that is used in the, in the gospel passage this morning. In Matthew's passage, Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is going to say, go and be reconciled to your brother. And the idea here is that, that two people who were once enemies now come back together and are friends. Two people where there was a broken relationship and there was, there was, there was a, a sense of, of uh, I'm not going to get the word right. I can't think of it. There, but we were enemies with each other. Is now healed. And we all know, we, we, we're, we're all mature enough to understand that even when we say we're sorry, we still have to live with the consequences of what's happened in that gap. We still have to live with the consequences of whatever severed that relationship in the first place. And we understand that. We, we, we pray through that and we want to get on the other side of that. But the bottom line is that Jesus has called us to reconcile ourselves to other people. In fact, he modeled that. That was his message from the Father when he came to be among us. It was a ministry of reconciliation to take those of us who were once enemies with God and now make us friends with God. That's what the story of the cross is and the story of the resurrection, is that God has now looked at us as once enemies and now we are friends because of Christ. And Jesus says, if you want to be like me, then you need to have this ministry of reconciliation, not ministry like it's another program or project that we have to do, but it has to be part of who we are. We have to live it out. It has to be inside of us. It has to, it has to be part of our relationships one with another. 
in many biblical references, and I think the verses will be on the screen, in many of the biblical references that we see where that word reconciliation is used, it is this picture of people who were once enemies. They are now friends. They have now been brought back together. And in many of those scripture references, it's, it's, the, the image is, is, is God reconciling us back to him. But that's just, that's just the starting point. We now pick that up and emulate that in our lives and in our relationships with other people. And in Matthew chapter 5, when Jesus comes to, to this topic and he uses this word to go and be reconciled with someone, the emphasis of this phrase in this passage carries with it the idea that where there has been anger or hostility, there is now mutual concession. Where there's been anger and hostility that's been, been dividing people in their hearts and in their, in their lives, there is now mutual concession because somebody went back and said these three words, I'm sorry. And there's been a, a, a healing of that relationship. Before we get too far into Matthew chapter 5, let me set the context a little bit so that we can understand with more clarity what Jesus is trying to say. Matthew chapter 5, Jesus takes his disciples that he's gathered around him, and he goes up on a mountainside and he sits with them to teach them. His ministry is just starting. He's done some teaching in some villages, some healing, some miracles. And so the word has spread about this guy who's out there doing these things, and it's amazing, and he speaks the words of God. And, And so Jesus takes his disciples, and he goes up on a mountain, and he sits down, He sits down with his disciples to teach them. And interestingly, the sitting down in Scripture is a posture of of authority. So he sits to teach them. And as he sits on this mountainside, the mountainside begins to fill in with all of the people from around the towns who have gathered around to catch a glimpse, to kind of see. Right now, excuse the phrase, but Jesus is kind of a rock star right now. All right. He's somebody to kind of check out. And, you know, I've been around that guy. You know, you know how we kind of say that? Yeah, I've been around him, had my picture taken, put it on Facebook. It's that kind of, you don't really know him, but you've been around him and you want to see him. That, that's the that's what's kind of people are gathering around to try to see who this Jesus is and hear from him. He's so close. Let's listen to what he has to say. And in this image, in this image, we have the disciples sitting in front of him. And, and it is as though Jesus is teaching directly to the disciples. His message in chapters 5, 6, and 7, which we have come to know as the Sermon on the Mount, is really a manifesto of, of the Christian life. That's what we would call it in today's language. This is, if we want to know how we should live as Christians, it's Matthew 5, 6, and 7. This really uh, uh, puts a, a, a capsule of, of how Jesus has instructed the people. What he does is he gathers his disciples and he begins to teach them. But he sees the crowd. And so as he teaches his disciple, because these disciples would be the ones who in three years would be empowered to take the message of the gospel after Jesus' death and resurrection and ascension into heaven, it was now their job to take the gospel message around the world. He was pouring into them. But as he poured into them and as he taught these disciples, he did it in a way so that the rest of the room heard. I'm going to tell you some things that you need to know. You need to know these things about the kingdom. This is what the kingdom of God is like. But I'm going to teach in such a way so that everybody else on the other side of the room hears what I'm saying. And it's for them too. And he begins to teach. 
And he begins to say, this is what life is like in the kingdom. And Jesus uses this metaphor that Matthew writes with, this image of the kingdom of God. We've already sung about it today. Maybe unknowingly, sing to the king. He sits on the throne. It's imagery that's wrapped throughout Scripture. When we call ourselves Christian, when we call ourselves Christ followers, we become part of God's kingdom. And this is the image and this is the picture that Matthew uses and uh, that Matthew writes as Jesus is speaking about the kingdom. And Jesus says this, you want to be in the kingdom? Then this is who you need to be. This is who you need to be. Because being in the kingdom isn't about how you act first. Being in the kingdom is who you are first. Your life and your actions stem from who you are. Jesus writes this and says this, Matthew writes in in verse 20 of chapter 5. Jesus says, for I say to you, he's speaking to the disciples, again to the broader audience. He says, for I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now to you and me, we read that and we go, okay, that probably means something. But to them in that setting, in that context, that was scandalous. That was a scandalous comment because the the scribes were the theological leaders of that time. They knew God's word. And the Pharisees, the Pharisee movement was a kind of uh, uh, reformed movement within Judaism, as R.T. France writes, so that people people, uh, uh, were were dedicated to a list of, of, of ritualistic practices the Pharisee movement added to the, the words of God these, these rules and these laws that people were to follow in a kind of reformed way that says, that says this is really, you know, God's word is good and you need to do this also because this is what it really means uh, to find God and to be with him. And so, and so the people, the people who lived with these theological leaders and these Pharisees who were guiding them and teaching them, they would have been shocked they would have been shocked to hear Jesus said to hear Jesus say that unless your righteousness the average everyday normal joe schmo who's just going to work and trying to make a living unless your righteousness exceeds that of the pharisees the the people who are leading this reform the the, the scribes the theological scholars if your righteousness doesn't exceed theirs well you have no shot you have no shot to enter the kingdom of heaven And what Jesus is doing is he's drawing a a stark contrast between the heart and our actions. And what he's saying is, is you cannot find favor with God. You cannot be called part of the kingdom of God by merely checking off a checklist of rules that you are able to keep. That's not how you find favor with God. You don't find favor with God by, by making sure you follow every little rule and procedure and, and function. You find favor with God because your heart inside of a relationship with God has been changed. You have come to God and you have embraced Him. 
And he changes your heart. And once he changes your heart, then your actions change. When you change your heart, you understand, ah, I get the Ten Commandments. Now I know. I don't, I don't follow these rules in hopes that I can grab onto God somehow. I bring myself to God and I find Him just as I am and He reaches down within me and I understand His forgiveness and His love and His mercy and His grace. And as I understand that, then I know my behavior changes. My behavior changes for the better. And I begin to follow God's standards because that's knit inside of my heart. The commandments and the rules of the Old Testament were given to show us how short we fall from God. We would look at the Ten Commandments and we would go, I can never do that. I need God first before I could ever fulfill any of these rules. And that's the distinction that Jesus is saying and speaking about in this Sermon on the Mount. And that's what he's trying to pull together in the minds of the people. This distinction between the rules that people follow and the heart of who they really are. Because unless our hearts are changed, what we do doesn't really matter. Unless our heart is changed and molded to the image of God through Jesus Christ, unless our heart is changed, it doesn't matter what we do, you're still outside the kingdom. Scholar R.T. France writes that those who are to belong to God's new realm must move beyond the literal observances of rules, however good and scriptural they may be, to a new consciousness of what it means to please God. One which penetrates beneath the surface level of rules. To be obeyed to a, to, to be obeyed to a more radical openness to knowing and doing the underlying will of your Father in heaven. Did you catch that? What is radical about the Christian life is not what I go out and do. Look at how radical I am. I'm not going to eat for 50 days. I'm not going to do this. I'm going to pray for, for seven hours. What's radical is not what people try to do in the Christian life. What's radical about being a Christian is knowing and doing the will of the Father. That's what's radical. And from knowing and doing the will of the Father, then our actions change. Then we can weigh within our hearts and in our minds, God, how would you want me to worship you? What is right and what is appropriate? How should I live in this moment? How should I face this circumstance? Because we are, we, we are radical in trying to know the heart of God. And when we know the heart of God, then it changes everything in our lives. We're not radical because of what we do. We're radical because we want to know God. It's relationship before action. It's who we are ever before it's what we do. It's always been that way. And Jesus is trying to, to, to use this, this imagery to draw their attention to this, that to live in the kingdom 
requires an internal investigation of who we are. I wish we had more time to, to really get into this. We don't. But look at Matthew 5:21 and how Jesus takes, takes that comment about living more righteously, your righteousness surpassing that of the Pharisees, and look at how he applies this. He says this in verse 21, You have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be in danger of judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Verse 23, Therefore, If you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother. Reconciled. There's that word, reconciliation. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Jesus uses this this common emotion of anger to help us understand what it means to live in the kingdom of God. He uses this common, this common emotion of anger to move us away from checking off a checklist of things to really examining my heart and my relationship with other people. He goes back and he goes, he goes to the sixth commandment and he says, you know it says, do not murder. But I tell you that if you hate somebody, you've murdered them already. You see, if we're just content and following the rules before we have our life and our heart changed, if we just want to follow the rules, then every single one of us, perhaps in this room, could take with a pen and write in indelible ink a big check mark next to, Thou shall not murder. Because it's, it's, it's probably with good, good certainty that the majority of us are not going to murder somebody in our lifetime. So we can just go ahead and write that check mark next to us next to that commandment, and feel like in our hearts, you know what, I took one step closer to God today. Because you know what, I'm not going to murder anybody. I don't see, I'm rational, I'm a rational person. I'm just not going to do that. You see, the danger in following the rules is that if, the danger in following the rules to find favor with God, and why that's not what the kingdom is about, is that we miss the heart component of that. Jesus said, if you're angry, with your brother, you've committed murder already. Because in your heart, you've killed them. Anger is a, a deep-seated emotion. Anger, if gone unchecked and, and unbalanced, can ruin our lives. Murder, very rarely, I think, are people murdered when anger has not been at the heart of it. If I'm going to go out and actually physically murder somebody, something's going to prompt that inside of me. I'm going to have, something will have been done to me. I will have been violated in some way. And I will respond in anger, in frustration, in disillusionment, in angst. And I want to respond. It causes us want to do something when somebody has wronged us. And for some people, they will step out and murder somebody. 
And Jesus is saying, if you have the attitude of anger, you've already murdered somebody. How many of us, when somebody has offended us or cut us off or pushed us to the side or severed a relationship, how many of us have words of hate that just ring in our ears? How many of us in our, in our moments of anger debase and demean people? How many of us in our moments of anger have said things that were vile towards another person? You see, but if we don't understand the kingdom, we would say, that's okay, because I didn't kill them. Even though in our mind, we've probably said, I wish they were dead. But I didn't do it. And Jesus is saying, no, you don't get it. That's, that's not it. In the kingdom, even if you're angry, you've murdered. And he challenges the people with action. And he says, if you want to live in the kingdom... Recognize your anger and be reconciled to your brother. Be reconciled to your fellow believer. Be reconciled to the one who looks like your enemy. Because in the kingdom, we're not supposed to be filled with these evil thoughts towards other people. But we see it happen all the time, don't we? We've experienced it. I mean, we're not perfect. Let's not pretend. We've all been pushed into anger. We've all been pushed to the, at some point in our lives. We've all wanted to, to lash out at somebody and say things, and we've held thoughts in our minds. This is not life in the kingdom. There's not supposed to be hostility in the kingdom. There's not supposed to be division in the kingdom. We are not to lob verbal assaults or speak words of hate to diminish someone's character. That's not how we live in the kingdom. Yet we see it. We see it in in Christian conduct. We see it in, in online posts and emails and blogs and Twitter updates and magazine articles. We see Christians tearing down other Christians. Christian leaders railing against other Christian leaders. We see churches divided. We see Christian homes that lie in ruins because there's no reconciliation. We see Christian marriages that are on the brink of of crumbling because there's no reconciliation. We see children that grow up to, to to be distant from their parents because there's no reconciliation. That's not what life is supposed to be like in the kingdom. In the kingdom, we're supposed to say these three words. I'm sorry. sorry. That's life in the kingdom. To understand that from in my heart, I can kill somebody with the words that I say. And God says, that's not how it's to be. We've become so accustomed to this. We think it's commonplace. That's just how we operate. We Christians have grown okay with this. 
in our own hearts. But I say to you, Jesus said, but I say to you, life in the kingdom is this, verse 23, therefore, if, your brother, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. It's a call to action, isn't it? A call to humility. I mean, you think about that, that verse. I mean, look at it and you just let it soak in your soul for a second. And you can already feel, some of us can already feel the tension that rises up within us. Hang on now. I'm all good with being in the kingdom. I'm all good. I'm not murdering anybody. But now you want me to go say, I'm sorry to somebody that's really hurt me. The te- you can feel that tension already begin to rise up because you know what it costs you to do that. You have to humble yourself. You have to set aside your pride. You have to walk across a room. You have to pick up a phone. You have to write a letter. And you have to say, I'm sorry. Because you've you've known in your heart to be like Christ is to forgive and to reconcile. For you and me, we would read this verse today in our culture and in our context. And we would interpret it in this way and we would say, you know, before I come to worship next week, I need to take care of this. I don't want to come to, to my altar and, and, and worship, my, bring my sacrifice and worship before I take care of this. Or we would say, you know, before I go to my Bible study, I need, to, I need to take care of this. Before I, 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 pers- I, I begin to implement the prescriptions of this, this How to Grow series in my life, I need to take care of this. And, and that would be fine. That's a good application. There's, there's nothing wrong with that. But look at the context. And I think if we look at the context, we'll see some of the spirit with which we're supposed to go and be reconciled. You see, reconciliation involves effort. See, many of us would, would use that, that first example of, you know, before next worship service, I'll take care of it. And, and, um, but something happens week to week and we kind of forget and we kind of miss it. We're like, okay, next week, I'm going to do it next week. I'm going to write a note and a reminder. I'm going to take care of that. We, we, we forget. Look at the context of this, this passage. Look at how Jesus said this. He said, before you go to the altar with your sacrifice, if you're at the altar, now his audience would have understood this. It's about bringing, they would be bringing their sacrifice to temple worship. It's a journey that they would have to make plans to make. It's a journey that would take some of them um, days to travel, to come to the altar to make sacrifice at the temple. They would have had to change their, their schedules. They would have got their iPhone out and, you know, set it all up, blocked out the dates, 
return message on their email would have been all cleared up. I'm going to be gone for the next five days. I'm going to temple. I'm going to worship. I'm taking my sacrifice. It's a journey. What does Jesus say? It takes a little bit of effort to reconcile. Because what I want you to do is to leave it there, go back a three-day journey, a five-day journey, find the guy in the town and make right. And then I want you to travel back another three-day journey, another five-day journey back to the temple to come and offer your sacrifice. See, his audience would have known what he's talking about. Reconciliation takes effort. There's work to be done. And we need to do it. Second thing that reconciliation takes that we look at in this passage is, is it involves urgency. Jesus said, first, first go and be reconciled. Then come back and worship. But first, go and be reconciled to your brother. In the, in the original language, in the, in the tone and, and way that this, this phrase was written, it carries the idea of a distinct act that's done in a, in a quick manner or, or done with, with a quick action. It is specific, it is definitive, and it's quick. I'm taking care of this now. Now I'm taking care of this. There's an urgency that Jesus communicates to his listeners. Reconciliation, this, 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 this idea of anger dividing the house and dividing a family and dividing the body and dividing the kingdom needs to be taken care of quickly. And for many of us as we sit here today, God's brought somebody to our mind with whom we need to reconcile. God's brought somebody to our mind of, that we need to maybe write a letter or send a note or pick up the phone and make a call. And you can commit to that in your heart and say, I'm going to do it before the next service or I'm going to do it. And that's fine. I'm not going to judge that. I'm just saying when we read deeper into the text, we understand that there is an effort that needs to take place and there is urgency in Christ's dealings with this. Jesus looks at his kingdom and what a ragged tag bunch we are, aren't we? And he looks at us and he says, I love you. I have come to reconcile you to the Father. Now go and reconcile yourself to others. If we want to be like Christ, we need to take his lead. The last four weeks, we've heard some really good challenges. And we need to do every single one of those things that, that have been laid out for us. I offer this to you. If we don't choose in our hearts to live in the kingdom with the, the notion of an internal investigation of our lives every day, and in this instance, to go and reconcile ourselves to somebody, I don't know that we will understand the full fruit of what God has for us. As Shar and Jennifer come to 
lead us in our closing. We're going to play under as we go to prayer. I want you to imagine two pictures. First of all, I want you to imagine in your mind the picture of you implementing all four of the the prescriptions that we've talked about over the last few weeks of, of, of reading God's Word in a consistent way, of setting aside some time of prayer, of honoring Christ when we come to communion, of, of getting rid of the clutter and the crud in our lives. And then I want you to think of this picture. What would it look like if I also reconciled broken relationships in my life? What would this year look like? What would it look like if I reconciled broken relationships? There's no guarantee that it's going to be reciprocal. There's no guarantee that when you say, I'm sorry, they're going to say, I'm sorry, and you're going to have a big love fest and tears all over the place. There's no guarantee of that. But Jesus says to go and offer your reconciliation. Imagine this year, picture this year, all of those elements together and this fifth one where you have taken down the walls between other people and you're striving to understand God in His fullness. Now I want you to imagine a second picture where you're putting together all of the the prescription plans, you're praying, you're you're reading, you're having great communion fellowship, you're, you're, you're cleaning out your calendar and your time and committing yourself to God. But you just can't seem to go and say those three words to somebody. There's somebody in your heart and there's somebody in your life that, man, it just hurt too deep. The wounds are just too fresh. I just can't do that. And imagine not doing that this year. I'm not, I, I can't say that you won't grow in your faith. I can't say that you won't understand more of God. That's not what I'm saying. But I wonder, wouldn't we know God more deeply? Wouldn't our times with Him be more refreshing if we sought to reconcile relationships in our world? That's the picture. Which two images do you want to have be true for you this year? I'm going to ask you to just take a few moments in prayer and commit this message to God. You and Him, you and God. It's your conversation. The team's going to play quietly under, but you think... And talk to God. And what is He saying to you? What do you need to do with this idea of reconciliation?